from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, in for Tony today. And you may have noticed that the rainbow flags are flying all around you. It is Pride Month. The annual religious observance of sacredness for the LGBT community. We'll discuss the Biden administration's actions to advance the LGBT agenda over everything else with Roger Severino, former Trump official. Then we'll talk to FRC's Meg Kilgannon about how public schools are indoctrinating our children about sexuality. Then Justin Danoff from the Free Enterprise Project of the National Center for Public Policy Research joins us to discuss how to respond when corporations force LGBT pride in their customers' faces. Last but not least, how should we think about LGBT pride as Christians? David Clausen, director of FRC Center for Biblical Worldview, will join me for that. But first, although LGBT pride reaches into every area of culture, the Biden administration is sending every signal possible to promote it. On June 1st, American embassies around the world ran the pride flag up the pole, even in countries like the Vatican, where such a display isn't welcome. President Joe Biden also issued a lengthy proclamation recognizing June as Pride Month. Joining me now to discuss this is Roger Severino, Senior Fellow for Ethics and Public Policy Center and the former Director of the Office of Civil Rights for the Department of Health and Human Services under President Trump. Roger, welcome to the program. Glad to be back on the show. Thank you. Well, tell us why it is that you think the Biden administration thinks it's so important to make these public displays of Pride Month. President Biden is playing to his base, pure and simple. Even though he came on a promise of unity, he's doing things to stoke up the culture wars. He started with his appointments of folks who are really on board with the LGBT agenda from top to bottom. Javier Becerra at HHS is now the HHS secretary. Dr. Rachel Levine, who is very much on the forefront of transgender activists, is now the top doctor at HHS. And you mentioned the flying of the flag everywhere, uh, including the Vatican, which is a very provocative thing to do. It's really thumbing their nose to try to really push the LGBT agenda as far as possible. They just issued an announcement of all the different executive actions they've been taking in order to further it. And no, no, aspect of the federal government is going to be left untouched. They're trying to integrate it into all forms of training, in terms of funding of programs, everywhere they could find a way to put in the letters LGBT, they're going to try to attempt to shoehorn it in. Have you seen a response from the Vatican by that display there? I have not yet. I have not yet. But of course, this is an active, provocative uh, display because, of course, Catholic teaching is based on a union of a man and a woman as the only uh, constituent form of marriage. And this is flying in the face of that. And to be so bold about it is a change. I mean, the, the Trump administration was very solicitous of religious organizations and their views. And it actually created space for people who have different points of view on questions like marriage. And But from this administration, we're seeing that it's winner take all yeah. unless you buy fully into the cancel culture, woke culture on these issues of human identity, uh, unless you buy in fully, you're going to be excluded. And they're really trying to say by these statements that if you don't get with the program, there will, will be consequences because they're, they're now in charge 
and they're not going to call the shots, especially when it comes to federal programs, when we're talking millions of dollars for faith-based organizations. That's where I expect to see many of the conflicts. We're going to try to impose uh, LGBT focus that's going to run up against directly religious liberty concerns from adoption and foster care to uh, medical treatments, all of these things where there's federal funding, you're going to find these conflicts between religious liberty and LGBT. Now, we noted, we noted that they are flying the flag at the embassy at the Vatican. Are they flying it everywhere um, in, in the Middle East, for example? Is it in the embassy in Saudi Arabia, for example? Because we know that the, the Saudi Arabian government would not be particularly friendly to the LGBT uh, perspective as well. Do you know if it's being flown there also? Uh, my understanding is the order is widespread. I don't know if they made any exceptions out of cultural sensitivities, and I would hope they would. If they do believe in multiculturalism, then they should practice what they preach and make sure that they don't do things that will go out of their way to offend the cultures of which they are guests. And I don't know, we'll see what they do. But uh, in terms of funding programs and exporting the LGBT cause, I see no breaks. They will be funding organizations to push it, just as like they've done with abortion. The first thing the president did was get rid of the Mexico City policy that prohibited funding of overseas advocacy for abortion. And you're going to see the exact same thing on LGBT issues, I'm sure. It, it is, I think, a little ironic that uh, the left often objects to exporting Western values uh, to the rest of the world. And they, they refer to it sometimes as colonial, colonialization uh, from the West, and, and that's, that's inappropriate. But on, the, on this issue in particular, they seem to have uh, no hesitation uh, for the colonialization of the rest of the world because they, they believe in the cause and that that should be exported. Now, you were, of course, in the, in the Trump administration, President Trump was, no, he was very good on religious freedom issues, but he made public statements in general of his support of many, th- many of the LGBT movements uh, causes. He had openly gay people in his administration, in his cabinet, in fact. Now, how did the Trump administration treat this month differently than the Biden administration has so far? And I think you have to separate people and the law from the nitty gritty of how these issues come to play. It's not a question about uh, uh, rejecting people's identities or humanity or who they are. It's and the Trump administration was quite tolerant. It's about policies and whether or not policies and laws are going to be forced on people who have a different perspective. And it's about the coercive aspects that President Trump, to his credit, drew a line on. Under the, the Obama administration, they passed a transgender mandate under Obamacare, requiring the provision of sex reassignment surgeries, insurance to cover it, organizations to provide it and do it, even against their best medical judgment and the religious objections. We changed that policy under Trump and said that the definition of sex is based on biology and where it matters most is in healthcare. So many drugs are tested based on the differences between men and women. Sex is a known biological variable that the NIH, National Institutes of Health, requires for research studies. It is crucial to the understanding and advancement of medicine that sex be understood on its true biological basis, not ideology. We rolled back that transgender mandate and President Biden and Javier Becerra and Dr. Rachel Levine had just announced they're going to ignore all of that. They're going to ignore court decisions that prohibit enforcement of gender identity policy, and they're going to go ahead and enforce it. This announcement 
obviated the need for any rulemaking. We went through 150,000 comments plus and responded to all of them before we did roll back the mandate. They think that they are above the law and aren't doing any rulemaking whatsoever. They just announced it in the press release that they're going to be coming for entities that won't comply with their new gender identity mandates. That's a sad thing to see, but it's a steamroller that it has not been slowed down yet. In President Biden's proclamation honoring Pride Month, he went out of his way to note that 14 percent of his appointments so far, his 1,500 appointees is what he mentioned uh, so far, are LGBTQ plus in some way. Um, what do you think of that? What do you, and 14 percent, of course, uh, far exceeds the representation in the general public. Um, what what? What does that mean to you? What's the significance of the fact that they're first they're tracking it? And that's ultimately what the result is in his administration. Yeah, well, personnel is policy. It's it's not really about the identity, how people self-identify, identify that matters. Uh, we had LGBT people that we had in the Trump administration, as you mentioned. The question is, what are the policies that these people are providing? Uh, are they pursuing an ideology first over the law. And folks like Dr. Rachel Levine, who's been out front on transgender advocacy, and and I actually met with Levine, where we discussed what is appropriate medical treatment of minors. And the response of Levine and others in the room was that, yes, even minors who have gender dysphoria should be allowed sex reassignment surgery, puberty blocking hormones, that sort of thing. So it's the policy that really, really matters. And these policies are radical. The high court in England just said that minors should not be given puberty blockers because of the serious psychological and physiological impacts that will last them a lifetime. It could lead to sterility. Imagine a 13, 14 year old being able able to decide they cannot get a tattoo, but they could get these cross sex hormones that could lead to permanent infertility followed up by surgery. Because once you get on that treadmill, it moves you towards the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, and ultimately removal of healthy reproductive organs. It's that push that is contrary to science, that's being driven by ideology that I care about, and, and the personnel that are driving it, like Levine, Becerra, and Biden at the top, need to be held accountable for it. We should not be experimenting on our children in this way. And you see states are now pushing back by actually, once they pass the ban, on this sort of treatment in minors. And others are allowing doctors to opt out according to their med- medical judgment and conscience to not participate in these surgeries. Again, it's not about the identity of anybody. We have compassion of people who are going through all sorts of gender struggles. It's about forcing people to engage in these surgeries, especially on minors, especially people of faith and religious institutions. I think you make a really good point, and, there, and there's two things to drive home here. And you you mentioned personnel is policy, and the fact that it's the people that are making the difference, not necessarily the identity, but what do they believe? And those things are often, of course, uh, very connected. But it also is driving home the point that elections have consequences. And this is what we discussed uh, last year ad nauseum, at length, right? We, we tried to make the point that doesn't the personality of the people in office doesn't necessarily mean as much as the ideas and the policies that they represent. And of course, uh, we are seeing those chickens come home to roost in a very serious way uh, early in the Biden administration. 
Now, we're celebrating, uh, well, the federal government now is celebrating, and many people are celebrating in the month of June, Pride Month. Now, why is it that America gets the 4th of July, which is a day to celebrate our independence, but we have an entire month for uh, the LGBTQ uh, cause? Why is that? Well, because there's a very well-organized, well-funded advocacy apparatus that has been moving to try to push the culture in a particular direction. And we were first told it's really about letting people do what they want in their private lives. That was actually just the nose under the camel's tent. We saw that that moved on to same-sex marriage. And it's really only about the liberty of people to get together. And then it moved from there to sex reassignment surgeries in a blink of an eye. And then the, the flags keep multiplying. The colors on the rainbow flag keep growing and growing. And now we don't know how many pronouns we're going to be required to to keep track of. It, it's it almost been a never-ending phenomenon. So because it is well-funded, they have now captured, by and large, much of corporate America. When you hand out so many Lucite awards and you have that carrot, uh, you'll be labeled a hero in some quarters if you you know post the rainbow flag on your business logo as well as the stick so they will punish entities that push back. Um, that's what you're seeing that that other play out. Roger Severino, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for tracking this uh, for us and with us. Uh, there are a lot of people around the country who are concerned, and we greatly appreciate your in- insight and how we can be thinking and responding to this. Thanks you're for being welcome. And do uh, keep this in mind. This train has not run out of track. And and Roger Severino there, he mentioned uh, the fact that they have taken over corporate America. And we are going to discuss that a little bit later in the program. But next, in the next segment, we're going to talk about how Pride Month is affecting education for your children. Are there teachers talking about it? Are there principals talking about it? How is this getting into your kids' life? We'll talk about that next. Come on back. What is Roe v. Wade and what did it do? The Supreme Court's 1973 decision ruled that abortion is protected under the U.S. Constitution, striking down many state abortion restrictions and severely limiting the extent to which states could write their own abortion laws. The Supreme Court's limitations on states to legislate abortion restrictions depends on the trimester of a pregnancy. For instance, Roe disallows states from restricting abortions in the first trimester, but allows some restrictions on abortions in the third trimester. What Roe doesn't do is require states to have any restrictions. Abortion through all nine months of pregnancy is the default, unless Congress or the individual states pass laws restricting it. That leaves a lot of room for unrestricted abortions. For a full explanation of how Roe v. Wade liberalized abortion laws, go to frc.org explainer. That's frc.org explainer. After the recent wave of media censorship, are you struggling to find a conservative, relevant, and Christian platform where you can find out what's really going on? Here at Family Research Council, we believe that Americans have a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. If you're ready to hear the facts that the left doesn't want you to know about, then head over to frcblog.com to check out our latest blog posts. We cover a wide range of issues you and your family care about, all written by our policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview experts. We discuss topics that other media platforms won't, like changes in pro-life policy, 
current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the bigger picture of the shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, visit frcblog.com. That's frcblog.com. Would you like to spend more time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible with their Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. This reading plan takes you through the Bible as events happen in history. Laying out the scripture every day in an engaging manner, it is key to helping us stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start reading today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. This is Joseph Backholm, your host for today's edition of Washington Watch. And today, we are highlighting the various ways the LGBT agenda has hijacked the culture. And parents, listen up, because it is coming for your kids. Here's a clip from a Washington, D.C. middle school. LGBTQ Pride Month. Wow. Do you want to know more? I want to know more. Great. What is LGBTQ plus Pride Month? First, a reminder, LGBTQ plus stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer or questioning, and other identities that are in this community. That's just a snippet of something that was shown to a group of middle schoolers, of course, via Zoom. And joining me now to discuss all of it is Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies at Family Research Council. Meg, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Joseph. When you see that clip, what's your reaction? It makes me tired, honestly. <laughs> it, 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 um, I think most parents, when they find out about things like this in school, um, whether you are whether you are su- supporting this sort of thing or not, you're wondering if all the other boxes have been checked for the day. Have we learned our math and our reading and our social studies and our our English? Are we are we are we really covering all the subjects that need to be covered? And have we done that so well? Have we done that so perfectly that we have time to do this too? I, Seems like maybe that hasn't been the case. What does the data suggest? Let's uh, let's uh, let's see if we can answer your rhetorical question. I mean, are we killing it in the Washington D.C. school system? Otherwise, I, I haven't tracked the Washington D.C. school system specifically, but I would say that the national NAEP scores would indicate that our children are not reading on grade level generally. They're not computing math on grade level generally, and that. Uh, our schools are not the excellent schools that we pay for and that our children deserve. And so when you have issues like this, issues of personal identity, um, issues that are very controversial, very personal issues, and when you when you have them discussed in a school forum this way, 
it, it's it's an overstep, in my opinion. In the last week or so, I saw another Zoom. And I mean, the beauty of all this Zoom COVID stuff is that like the curtains being pulled back a little bit on the education system, right? Because I saw this conversation amongst teachers where one teacher basically lectured the rest of them and said, if you are not on board, and in that case, she was talking about the CRT stuff, you're going to lose your job. You're going to get fired. You may not be there yet, but that's where the Department of Education is going in our state. That's where the Federal Teachers Association is. And so if you're not there, you're going to get Fired. Is it an overstatement, do you think, to, to say that the, the education system broadly is prioritizing cultural issues over education? I think that's very easy to say, yes, that broadly that is happening. And the, the problem with that is um, manifold, right? <laughs> because their priorities certainly are not reflecting the priorities of many other parents. But um, the the... We, no, it, it, let, let's let's pick that up because we're talking about the the fact that the education system, how it's being engineered, because there's a disconnect between I think the expectation of parents and what they're receiving at the administrative level, right? Yes. When you send your children through the schoolhouse door, you are you are a, a, entering into an agreement with the school that you're that the education experts, as they like to call themselves, are going to educate your children about academic subjects, right? And we don't necessarily agree to all the extras that we're getting. And when the school system has been um, set up with a lot of testing mandates that tie scores to funds um, and children's performance to access to money at the, at the state level, the they will teach to the test, and then once that's done, there's no reason to cover any more academic material, and then you're free to to enter into the extracurricular, yeah. shall we say. Yeah. Um, and that that isn't a model for excellence. Yeah. You know, my wife got her master's in teaching at the University of Washington, which is a large secular university. It was during the course of her master's program where she saw how the teachers were being prepared that she committed to never send her child to a public school. And so far, we have four kids, and, and so far, that's been our reality. That's not the, necessarily a great option for everybody, um, even if, in, in my opinion, that could, that's a good goal. Right. Um, what what should parents do? How are parents reacting to this? Well, the main thing that parents should do is to keep track of what's going on in your school. Talk to your children about their assignments. Talk to them about what's happening in class. Look at their materials. Find out how to log in to Blackboard or Clever, whatever the program is that your school is learning, using, and log into it and look at what they're teaching. And this isn't a problem that you can buy your way out of. There are reports coming out of these very, very tony private schools in New York City and Manhattan about parents who are shocked when porn literacy is being taught to their children at, you know, they're paying $47,000 a year for the privilege of having that happen right under their noses. So this the, – the culture is coming for your children and it's not going to – limit itself to public institutions or secular institutions or it's kind of, it's everywhere it's everywhere can school boards stop this you yes if school boards are so important and if we had a better conversation at the school board level about teaching and learning and what's important and and 
academic success, uh, school board members can make a tremendous difference. Uh, the, the fact is that on the right, we have taken our kids out of school, as you've done, as is your right to do. And that means that the public school in your area doesn't necessarily have the benefit of your presence and your perspective, right? Because you're doing your education with your kids at, in your home or in a private school, and that's where your energy is focused, and rightly so. But we need the influence of everyone on our public schools, so we have a fulsome experience and a complete picture of what's best for kids. And that means that we need parents like you and me informing that as yeah. well. So we need to engage. There are plenty of good parents in yes. the public school system yes. whose kids are in the public yes. school system, but they may, they may not be in the public school system, Correct. and they need to get in there as well. If yes. you are outraged... For the love of all that is good and decent, do something about it, right? Yes. Thank you, Gannon. Thank you again for your time and, Thank you. and for tracking this issue. And we are going to continue to track it. This is a this is a horse that is not going to die, so we are going to continue to beat it because this is really, really, really important for you and your kids, and we want you to know that. Uh, coming up, we're going to continue this conversation talking about how this is affecting corporate America. Stay with us here on Washington Watch. Where do you get your news? Do you have confidence you're getting the full truth? If you want to stay up to date on conservative news and are looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged, then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources such as our most recent radio programs, social media posts, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Stay informed with a trusted source. Again, search Stand Firm to download the Stand Firm app. As the political and cultural landscape of our nation has shifted in a concerning direction, it is so important for Christians to be equipped with biblical answers for the difficult questions of our time. That is why Family Research Council created our Biblical Worldview series. With the political left changing definitions to favor their narrative and to push their agenda, at times it can be hard to decipher what is true. That is why we must hold to the truth of the Bible, which stands the test of time. It holds the truth that does not change. Become equipped to stand firm in the face of cultural and political storms with FRC's Biblical Worldview series. This series dives deep into what the Bible says about some of the most crucial issues of our day. You'll learn what the Bible teaches on abortion, same-sex marriage, the separation of church and state, religious freedom, and the age-old question, should Christians be involved in politics? To access this series, visit frc.org worldview. That's frc.org worldview. This is Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm. Thanks once again for tuning in. June is LGBT Pride Month. So today we're focusing on how the LGBT agenda has permeated our culture. It's play, one place it's hard to miss is in big business. For example, Kellogg Cereal just released a create your own pronoun cereal. That's not a joke. It's together with Pride Rainbow Edition donates 
$3 from the sale of every box to the LGBT group GLAAD. Here to discuss this is Justin Danoff, General Counsel and Director of the Free Enterprise Project for the National Center for Public Policy Research. Justin, welcome back to the program. It's nice to talk with you, Joseph. Well, um, corporations used to observe Pride Month with a rainbow logo, logo or maybe just a tweet, but now they are all in releasing their own products. Have we turned some kind of corner in all of this? Well, I mean, it, it smacks you in the face everywhere you look, right? And it's really beyond just Pride Month. And there's a simple reason for it. It's because the left demands it, right? So they demand corporate action, and they, they ratchet up the pressure. And we can name names here. The Human Rights Campaign is responsible for a lot of what you see when it comes to LGBTQ plus promotion. And, and that's because they've been raiding companies for years on LGBTQ plus issues, um, and, and they changed the ratings, right? They used their ratings as a carrot and a stick. It used to be about, do you treat your, you know, gay employees the same as your straight when it comes to things like healthcare? That was what they started as. But then they realized once they got the companies on board with pushing their message, they wanted them to push that message out into the public. And so nowadays, the human rights campaign in their rating systems demands that companies have three outward-facing events every single year that promote LGBTQ plus causes. And advertising is listed as the number one way in which they can do that. And so through promotion of products, advertising, um, and it, it, you know, most prevalent, obviously, during Pride Month, um, we see a lot of action being taken by companies so that they can check off those boxes on the Human Rights Campaign Corporate Equality Index to maintain their perfect score and it's taken a step further, as you note, with Kellogg's now sending a piece of the profits from those uh, boxes of cereals to LGBTQ plus groups. And it's just comical because if you look up um, the 990s of some of these organizations, they are flush with cash. Why? Because the business community already funds them to start with. Do you think it will soon be required by the human rights campaign that every company give them money out of their profits in order to maintain a good score? Um, in, in, less, in, in probably more subtle ways than that, sure. But yeah, it, it, the, the kickback scheme's obviously there, right? And it, it, it's really comical because, again, these companies pay HRC to then tell them how to act. So it's kind of like the tail that wags the dog that wags the tail. And I would say at the local level, engage with the grocer that you go to, right? You're not going to change Kellogg's opinion overnight. But if you engage with the local grocer, let them know like, hey, I'm going to buy your store brand product today because it's not woke and, you know, promoting crazy causes um, because the grocers and the supply chains are, are really powerful. And so, same with retail, right? If, if you're talking about a major retailer like a Target, like a Walmart, um, or a major carrier like a United Airlines or Delta, the employees of those companies need to hear from everyday Americans that don't want this in your face constantly all the time. You just want to use products and services that help you facilitate, you know, commerce, retail, travel, whatever you, whatever you need to accomplish without having the politics of a policy group pushed into your face. And, and, and a lot of the employees feel that same way. They just don't feel emboldened to speak up to management. Yeah. And so the conversations you have every day, again, with, you know, the guy who runs your local Starbucks in the middle of Iowa, um, the guy who, you know, the manager of your Target in Austin, Texas, like they don't they're not on board 
with what the C-suite is forcing them to do at their local level. And these are the folks that operate in your communities. So I encourage, you know, Christians to go into these stores, don't abandon them, go in and talk to the managers because they need space. They need cover to then the next time somebody from the C-suite calls, they can say, hey, I just had all of these conversations because of the policies you're forcing us at the local level to do that our local constituents, our local customers don't want us engaging in. These are very important conversations to have. After the backlash in Georgia over their election law, a survey was done that said uh, by a three to one margin, Americans don't want corporations getting political. Does that do, do these decisions during Pride Month? Is it profitable for them financially or is this just a way to avoid being harassed? It's well, it, it's both. It depends on the company. For some companies, this is this is a target market of theirs um, that they can, you know, grow and expand upon it. You know, you think about Nike, their target audience is super woke. OK, right. That 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 is who they're they're going after. But for common carriers like like airlines, like food and beverage, like large retail, uh, th- this isn't a winner for them. And a plur- you're right, a plurality of individuals don't want companies getting involved in politics. And there's also a good percentage in those polls that don't know yet, right? That they, they, they don't have an answer. They, 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 they didn't yet know. So those are important conversations to reach those folks as very quickly in a few seconds is there going to be a backlash is there a point at which this is too much and middle america just says enough already we're getting there we're getting there and it's happening pretty quickly um everyone's awake for the walk now justin dana thank you so much for your time for being with us today really appreciate it thank you stay with us we're going to continue this conversation when we talk with David Clausen, director of the Center for Biblical Worldview, about how this is affecting the church. We know that wokeness, the LGBT community, has infected most parts of the culture. What's it doing in the church? And if it's gotten into your church, what can we do about it? That's what we'll talk about. Stay with us here on Washington Watch. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch on the American Family Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, and independent Christian radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. Since the Supreme Court decided Roe v. Wade in 1973, over 60 million people are now missing from our country due to legalized abortion. Public opinion, our knowledge of law, and scientific advancements demonstrate that Roe should by no means be considered settled law. Roe is an abomination in our country's history, and it's time for the horrendous practice of legalized abortion to end. To learn more about the legal, historical, and cultural reasons to overturn Roe v. Wade, go to frc.org Roe. The Equality Act sounds like good legislation and something that ought to have bipartisan support, but it doesn't. Why? Because the Equality Act, paradoxically, would spur inequality. It is Trojan horse legislation that would hinder equality and would massively overhaul our federal civil rights framework. The stated purpose of the bill is to prohibit discrimination on the basis of sex, gender identity, and sexual orientation. 
the real effect of this bill would not be to eliminate discrimination, but to erase the freedom to hold a different opinion. The Equality Act would mandate government-imposed inequality by requiring acceptance of a particular ideology about sexual ethics, while leaving no room for legitimate public debate. Simply put, the Equality Act mandates an anti-life, anti-family, and anti-faith agenda throughout federal law and would be a disaster for all Americans. To learn more about the inequality of the Equality Act, visit frc.org slash Equality Act. Since June of 2015, over 12,000 Christians have been killed in Nigeria. This violence has reached a point at which experts are warning of a progressive genocide specifically targeting Christians across Africa's largest and most economically powerful nation. Yet this violence often goes unreported in the media, and if reported, is seriously downplayed. To learn more about what is actually taking place in Nigeria, along with other countries where Christians face persecution, visit frc.org slash Nigeria. Did you know that Planned Parenthood is the biggest abortion supplier in the U.S.? According to Planned Parenthood's most recent annual report, it committed 354,871 abortions in fiscal year 2019, up by over 9,000 abortions since 2018. According to these numbers, Planned Parenthood aborted 972 babies every single day. To learn more about what Planned Parenthood is really doing, visit frc.org slash Planned Parenthood facts. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, your host of today's edition. Today's theme is Pride Month. We've covered how the LGBT agenda has infiltrated government, schools, as well as corporations. And now we are going to discuss whether it has also infiltrated the church. And we are going to do so with David Clausen, who is the director of the Center for Biblical Worldview. He is also the author of the publication Biblical Principles for Human Sexuality. David, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Joseph. So as we think about... Whether the LGBT agenda, whether Pride Month has infiltrated the church, has it? Well, I think in some quarters of the church it has. So just when we speak of the church, you know, capital C, we're, we're talking about something that is really big. It's buried, you know, different denominations and whatnot. Um, but when we're, we're, we're asking the question, has what we would call the moral revolution, the LGBT rights movement infiltrated the church? It, the answer is absolutely yes. Uh, in, in certain churches. So specifically, let's talk about mainline Protestantism. Uh, absolutely, it's all over the place. You have um, ch- whole denominations that have endorsed so-called same-sex marriage, uh, that have endorsed transgenderism. Uh, you have um, even uh, some evangelical denominations that have begun to hedge a little bit, uh, really stressing the need to be loving and accepting, even if they haven't full, all, you know, completely endorsed same-sex marriage. But you are absolutely seeing people who uh, would style themselves Christians saying that uh, same-sex marriage or the, the, the push for LGBT rights is something that should be welcomed in the church. Well, let me give you a heartbreaking example for me personally of this. As you know, I'm a football fan, and I'm from Seattle, so I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan, and, uh, and we like Russell Wilson. And Russell Wilson is also an outspoken and unashamed Christian. But I was really disappointed to see him tweet out on June 1st, love is the answer, hashtag pride, right? He didn't come out and just say like, yay, gay, or he didn't say Jesus loves homosexuality. But the implicit message there was this is about love and we need to support it. Go pride. 
I feel like that's a common sentiment um, within the church. Like they're just kind of leveraging love as this way to get inside the church and get people to support what really is not about love, is it? I think you're absolutely right, Joseph. And we we on the show on our Friday Worldview Friday segments talk about the importance to define terms. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we're seeing, and I think uh, is I think what we're seeing is a lot of uncritical thinking, uh, just accepting kind of the slogans or the mantras of our culture. And so I think people who are not deeply rooted in Scripture, deeply rooted into the tradition of the church, are embracing that. There's also those who are making arguments. Uh, uh, such as Matthew Vines, uh, when the Obergefell decision came down about six years ago that legalized same-sex marriage, uh, Vines wrote a really important book called God and the Gay Christian. And in that book, he argued that as so- and he, his argument was, as someone who has a high view of Scripture, I endorse same-sex marriage. And the argument he made, he made a, a theological argument. He said, when I look at Scripture I, I, and I, I look at what the Bible teaches, uh, the Bible encourages us to see good fruit. And when I look at uh, committed same-sex couples, I see good fruit in their unions, therefore, the, the Bible must endorse that. And, and so arguments like that, which uh, I would argue are, are very bad uh, <laughs> biblical and theological <laughs> arguments, are nonetheless, though, starting to catch on in, in some yeah. sections of the church that uh, have not been rigorous to actually interpret Scripture, but the, they are being carried along with the cultural ethos. With somebody like Matthew Vines... Do you take him at his word when he says he has a high view of Scripture? Or or are you thinking this is just kind of a cynical play because when he says that, uh, the biblically illiterate, which frankly is most of the church, right. are, are, will be easier to deceive when he, when he tries to establish some common ground that I, like you, have a high view of Scripture, and here's what the Bible says. Right. I don't know the man's intentions. I've never, ne- never met him. I, I read his book, um, yeah. and he, he comes across as, as sincere. Um, and now I think there are, there are probably many who will, you know, with the love is love hashtag or whatnot, that'll just try to pick and choose verses. Yeah. Uh, Matthew 7, judge not, therefore right. don't don't judge me, you bigot. Uh, but I, I think there are some who probably legitimately think the Bible is okay with same-sex marriage and homosexuality. But the problem is, Joseph, the Bible's not okay with it. And when you actually read Scripture uh, in the Old Testament, the New Testament, you read what Jesus said about marriage— it's really clear uh, that God's design for marriage is between one man and one woman for life, and that any other and that, that human sexuality is to be confined in the boundaries of marriage, and that that's God's good design for flourishing. It's God's good design for society. That's what the Bible says, and uh, people are misinterpreting it. But again, chapter and verse we could point to right now that is very clear uh, that God condemns what is now being celebrated uh, in Pride Month. When we recently launched the Center for Biblical Worldview, we also launched a survey yeah. that uh, that found that 50 per, 51% of Americans think they have a biblical worldview and in a, a higher number, and I'm, I'm forgetting the exact number of, of church attendees, think they have a biblical worldview when... But when the survey probed them on a variety of issues, it found that 6% actually have a biblical worldview. Isn't that what we're, we're, we're discovering here as well, that people say, I like the Bible, but I think the Bible says this, when in reality the Bible says, it says Y, not X, but they, because of their worldview, it's, it's making them easy to deceive. No, no, it is. I think the one stat, and, you, and people can find this survey at frc.org 
slash worldview survey. Uh, it's the study that we commissioned with George Barna, who recently joined right. us as a colleague in the Center of Biblical Worldview. But I think it was about 81% of those who actually identify as evangelical who attend churches uh, every Sunday. These are people, that, you know, they're, they're not just going to brunch on Sunday. They're actually go, they're putting the effort going to church. Uh, 81% think they have a biblical worldview, and even 20, only 21% of those people actually are looking at all of life through the lens of Scripture. So the difference between perception yeah. and reality is massive, 60 points there. And so I think what that points to, Joseph, is that people like the idea of the Bible. They, they like yeah. Jesus. They like God. They, they think that sounds good. But they really don't know what the Bible teaches about these issues. Again, uh, the, the Bible is clear. I, we, we, you and I have talked right. about abortion. We've talked about uh, same-sex marriage. The Bible is not ambiguous at all about these topics. There's a clear, thus saith the Lord, chapter and verse that we can point to. And what's more, Joseph, I'll add, is that the church has been unambiguous on this topic for 2,000 years. Now, now in the last 100 yes. years, there's been some denominations, theologically liberal denominations, that already threw out the authority of Scripture uh, that are now coming to different positions on these issues. But for 2,000 years, the church, with one voice, has defined marriage uh, between one man and one woman. Now, let's talk about your publication, The Biblical Principles for Human Sexuality, because the, the concern here, and in, in, in we're exploring here in Pride Month, how this movement and this agenda and the sexual revolution, however you want to refer to it, has infiltrated yes. the church. And we, we, in other conversations here at FRC, we talk about uh, critical race theory and how it is changing the way people view the gospel. And I think the sexual revolution is, is doing similarly. What are the principles that that parents who are who are listening today can can take to their kids? How can we talk to this, uh, talk about this with people in our circle that we care about, so that they come out of it seeing straight and seeing clearly what the truth is? Yeah, you, you just used the word infiltrate. I think uh, that kind of goes back to what I was just saying as far as what's happening. H- has this infiltrated the churches? And it has, but what churches? So about 100 years ago, Joseph, the early 1900s, uh, theological liberalism became like a really big deal with mainstream uh, denominations, mainstream Protestant denominations. And what was that movement? That was a movement uh, influenced by higher criticism uh, that began to be embarrassed by certain things in Scripture. Uh, they were embarrassed by Jesus' miracles. They were embarrassed by the idea of substitutionary atonement. Uh, they were embarrassed that the Bible was God's word and that it was authoritative. So what did they do? They just chuck those things overboard. They, they largely kept the morals and the mm-hmm. ethics of Christianity, but any kind of truth claims or supernatural claims, uh, they just utterly dispensed with. Mm-hmm. Well, it's those denominations, you know, 50, 60, 70 years later, were the denominations that were happy uh, to change sure. their view on life. They were happy to change their view on marriage. So, so what happened there? They, they got rid of the Bible, which they got rid of their foundation. And then when the cultural winds changed, there was nothing to have them uh, grounded and rooted. So to answer your question specifically with parents, we got to be rooted in God's word. We might think we know what God's word teaches on these things, but we better really know what uh, the Bible teaches on these issues. Because if we're not looking at scripture for our answers, Hollywood, the media, social media is going to influence our children's thinking on these things. We got to point them back to God's word. It's interesting to hear that that history uh, because I think that's much of what we're dealing with today. Is you have a, a a segment within the church that's kind of embarrassed about what the gospel yes. says about because. You know, it's it's a little bit discriminatory. It's a little bit intolerant. It seems a little bit bigoted to just tell if God tells people they can't do whatever they, they want to do. And But it's not a new temptation, is it? Because 
there has always been a temptation to please the sophisticated people. And it seems like that's where this is coming from. No, I, I think so. Even in the you know the, the the word fundamentalist really came about in the early 20th century, and those were the people who opposed those who were going theologically liberal, right. and they were called fundamentalists as a pejorative term. Uh, just oh, you just believe the Bible is the literal word of God. You know how how silly, how uh, uneducated, and so. That is what's happening is the cultural elites who now have a different view on the LGBT stuff. And so there's church leaders today, even in conservative denominations, that fear being seen as outdated or mean-spirited or bigoted. And again, that's where at the end of the day, we can't apologize for what God's Word teaches, and we have to stand firm. Let's get practical for a moment. Uh, because this is Pride Month, and so this is the month in which we all experience the pressure to publicly support this movement. And, and we talked in, in just a, a few minutes ago, we had a conversation about the fact that the human rights campaign is uh, is pressuring all these companies to give them money and, and to get a perfect score. And by doing so, you have to take publicly uh, visible positions and do things that show your support of this, and in different ways— um, not only are individuals in their workplace, because there are people who are, you know, emails are being circulated um, in workplaces where people are encouraged to join pride events and coworkers will be saying, are you coming to our event? Hey, are you going to join the parade? Are you going to wear the sticker and come to the parade with us as we celebrate love? How should people respond to those situations? I think Ephesians 4 has to be what guides us, and probably most of our listeners are familiar with that passage where Paul's writing to the Ephesians church. He's talking about the importance of unity in the church, and then he tells those uh, the, the believers there at the church of Ephesus, we have to speak the truth in love. And so I think as Christians who have these convictions informed by God's word on what marriage is, on what sexuality is, what's, what the design and purpose is, uh, we have these convictions, but you know, we don't need to be jerks about it. Uh, we, we don't need to be mean-spirited or, or act like we're angry about it. We, we can be winsome. We, we can be joyful. But we, we can't capitulate, Joseph. So I think that there's, there's going to be some tension there between being loving and being firm on our convictions. But I think that we have to find that balance. And so when we're asked to compromise our convictions, if we're asked to wear that pride stick, we're asked to attend that parade, I think that we, we have to draw the line, and we can lovingly tell our, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers why we can't do that. And we, we can just winf- winsomely, hopefully, share our beliefs on these issues and hopefully point them to Christ. And, and you talk about speaking the truth in love um, because that's what we're called to do. But, but I think it's important for all believers to remember that you can't speak the truth in love unless you actually believe the truth is loving. And that's the challenge for a lot of, a lot of people yeah. is that, well, I think I, I know about those verses in the Bible. People have tried to, you know, Matthew Vines is trying to tell me it doesn't actually mean those things. I kind of actually want to believe that Matthew Vines is right because it's hard for me yeah. to defend those things. How do we communicate to people that the truth that we see in Scripture about gender identity, about human sexuality is actually loving? 
I think that's where we have to just walk through passages with people and show that, you know, God, you know, God is not this this mean uh, grandfather who wants to punish people who's just up in heaven kind of looking to make our lives miserable. He, he's not. He, he is loving. He's gracious. And so the, the, the Bible, you know, I think a lot of people think, Joseph, that the Bible spends all this time talking about homosexuality and saying, <laughs> so it does. There's just a couple of verses. Now, the verses where it does right. appear is very clear. Right. Uh, but the, the gospel is is a much bigger message for, for all of human life. It has right. implications for all all areas of life. And I think we just need to invite people in to see that the gospel truly is good news for every man, for every woman, for every child who will repent of their sin and turn in faith to Christ. But the Bible tells us not to live our truth, right? The Bible tells me that I shouldn't indulge all of my desires. That's right. Why is that loving for me? Why is that good for me? Because at the end of the day, God's plan, you know, you and I have such a narrow perspective ultimately on what our life looks like, what we want in life. God has a bigger plan. He has a broader perspective. And so you're right. You and I might not struggle in the area of sexuality, but we might struggle with pride. We might struggle with uh, any number of issues. And that's what scripture calls us to do is to lay down our lives, to, to die to ourselves. And as we do that and we, we adopt the, the plans that God has for us, I think that's where we're going to start seeing flourishing and purpose and meaning uh, that we wouldn't have seen had we just tried to do things our own way. I also suspect, and, and I think one of the ways if, we, if we're trying to be helpful in, in how to respond to these pride month moments that are going to happen for people in work and at church and in their in their conversations is we will be much more effective in these situations and in those moments is if our life yes. is proof that there's a better alternative yeah. because i am absolutely convinced that all of these people marching for pride who who are you know it, it, it's kind of she doth protest too much kind of a thing that when you have to shout from the rooftop how proud you are of who you are, I think that that is revealing some insecurity where I need to get all these people around me to remind me how proud I am of this because deep down inside there's a hole. Yeah. And, and we know, and, and thank God he made us this way, that indulging our, all of our desires does not actually bring satisfaction. And so we will have much more effective conversations when... The conversations that we have with people are, are, are born out of a life that demonstrates uh, tangibly that there is a better alternative. And so when we talk about that better alternative, uh, they can say, yeah, I actually want some of that. Amen. David Clausen, thank you again for your time and, and for being with us. We Thanks, really, Joseph. really do appreciate it. And friends, as you deal with Pride Month, we hope you will do so confidently and courageously, knowing the Lord is always with you. And this is a great opportunity to share his truth. God bless. We'll see you next time. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 